Welcome back to part two of this episode. I really hope you enjoyed part one. Now let's get back into it. Is there anything, Rob, you do specifically to try and kind of reset you in that moment to continue on about your point about actively trying to be present? Is there anything physically you do or anything you mentally even say to yourself to put you back in that moment? I think it's partially just recognition. And uh, I I did a a year of Headspace. The Headspace app is amazing. And uh, I did a year consistently um, in 2017 going into 2018. And uh, it was right before my dad was diagnosed with cancer. So I I felt like it really prepared me for a time uh, where things were tumultuous and things were swirling around. It'd be really easy to get into that avalanche of thoughts. And something that I I remember from that training uh, is there was an example that, that the, the Headspace app gives you of when you recognize a thought, instead of like thinking of grabbing it or trying to control it, think of it as, as like touching it with a, with a dry paintbrush. Uh, and you're just addressing it. You're just kind of dusting it off. And you acknowledge that it's there, but you're not trying to change it. You're not trying to control it. You just acknowledge like, hey, I am not in my body right now. I'm not present here. And so that's that's kind of the routine that I get. If I feel the world swirling around me and I'm starting to, you know, maybe my heart rate's elevated. Maybe I'm just kind of clenching my fist or my jaw or something. I just try to be aware of that and say, you know what, Rob, like, let's breathe. We can sit for a second. We can breathe. We can, you know, look outside and we can remember that, you know, the way you feel in this moment is maybe not true. Maybe you just need to zoom out a little bit. And so that's what I try to do is just remember to paint with that dry paintbrush and just touch that thought and say, okay, you know what? we can leave this for later. Let's be present where we are today and, uh, and try to try to be a little bit more balanced and cut myself a little bit of slack. And I think mm. that's, it's, it's a strange balance. And I think for me as well, it's kind of like a control freak and, a, and an overachiever. And, uh, you know, in the US, uh, Kobe Bryant, for example, the Mamba mentality, like this outwork, out discipline, out will the competition, uh, you know, recognizing that that's, there's, there's a time and a place for that, but it's maybe not in this time. And, and, you know, just kind of breathing, relaxing and, and giving myself a chance to reset. It's actually Kobe Bryant who he, he said something on a podcast. Think, I think he was on Jay Shetty's podcast and he said something along the lines of when you feel stressed, anxious, annoyed, pissed off, whatever it is, it's like it's that emotion passing through you. And he said... Mm acknowledge it and just sit in it and let it be there and I hadn't really thought about it like that before because it's almost like when you are stressed or anxious or frustrated or worried it's almost like you want to get it out of your system as fast as possible and it was Kobe Bryant who said just sit in it and I'd never kind of framed it that way but now I'm kind of used to sitting in frustration or stress when it comes and it's almost easier to manage when you acknowledge it more being honest with yourself and acknowledging it and understanding and and being curious uh why am i frustrated why am i angry uh and if you can start to answer that and and be present in that even in those dark down moments uh that's that's starting that cycle of working through it and acknowledging and accepting it so yeah Mm. Excellent advice. Rest in peace, Kobe Bryant. We've gone too soon. I, I, I'll miss, you know, we missed out on uh, later in life, all the wisdom he would pour out from us. So I'm glad mm. we have those podcasts. Mm. 
continuing on with the basketball, Rob, when did basketball for you go from a hobby to a job? Man, great question. Uh, it's funny. My teammates in high school would tease me that uh, I wasn't any good before I got diabetes. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> You know, really right around the time I was diagnosed, I was starting to uh, get on the varsity. I had a couple of pretty decent games. And then, uh, you know, for some reason, I started losing all this weight and I started not having any energy and I started looking really sick. Uh, and turns out I had diabetes. And I remember when they gave me my first insulin injection in the hospital, I felt so much better afterwards. I was like, cool, I can go home. That was it. Thank you, guys. Um, and Cured. I was like, yeah, you guys fixed it. That's exactly what I needed. And they were like, whoa, whoa, whoa. So you're so you're old, big guy. Um so my first game back uh, after diagnosis, I missed two games just to kind of get used to managing the insulin and the blood sugars and kind of, you know, figuring that out. Um, and then my first game back, I had a double-double for the first time. So uh, I think 13 points and 11 rebounds. And from then on, I kind of looked at it as, man, this is my ticket. And I, I've mentioned this earlier, like diabetes management was my gateway to what I wanted, which was to play college and professional basketball. So uh, it became really clear to me that, uh, just playing in my high school league was, was not going to be how I made it to college like that. I, and I had met some coaches and they were like, Hey, you need to play in the summer leagues in the AAU circuit here in the United States. And that's the ticket to college. So I said, okay, cool. Um, that summer I went to two college camps. Uh, my parents, uh, looking back, it was such a huge, huge, huge moment that my parents trusted me less than six months into my diagnosis with diabetes to go off at a sleepaway camp and play basketball, but they trusted me. And we had this, uh, again, I had amazing parents that trusted that, uh, not only would I be able to manage it, but Hey, we talked to the trainers and, and they're going to keep an eye on him. Um, and so I, I did that. I had this music really peak experiences at Duke and Baylor. And, um, and I decided that, you know, I think this is something that I can do. Uh, so I just dedicated my life to it. Uh, all my spare time, you know, I think about it in high school. Uh, some of my friends would go to parties on weekends or they would go hang out with their friends and, I would be in the gym or I would be at a tournament or I would be working on something or watching film. And, you know, that powered me to, you know, getting to say, you know, like I do on these podcasts, like professional basketball player, uh, first, you know, type one member of the Washington generals playing against the Globetrotters all over the world. I got to play on an aircraft carrier almost 10 years ago. We had an aircraft carrier tour. The plane landed like top gun. Like we were all in it. Like we landed on the, on the flight deck. They cleared the flight deck. They put a court up and we played a game of basketball in the Persian Gulf. Um, and I remember like kind of having that moment uh, coming out of the game, sitting on the bench, looking around, being 150 feet above the water in the middle of the Persian Gulf and saying, you know, I'm so glad that I gave myself an opportunity to do this now because mm -hmm. I had a short window. I had a pretty short professional career. You know, really uh, my high level basketball career was from my sophomore year of high school to my the two years after I graduated college when I was basically done. And, you know, that's not very long. It's like less than 10 years. Uh, and so, you know, in that moment, when I was 22 graduating college after a pretty successful senior season, I said, you know, I want to go all in on this dream because if I don't, my window is going to close. Uh, and so, you know, for me at the same time, like that was my peak but I'm still playing basketball three days a week now because it's what I love to do. And I think after COVID, uh, well, I mean, we're still in the pandemic, obviously, but uh, after COVID restrictions in the U.S. kind of loosened and they started bringing basketball leagues back, it had been about 18 months since I played a basketball game. And I realized that that was the longest stretch in my life 
since I picked up a ball that I had not played in a game. Um, and there was a piece of me that was missing from that. And so, um, you know, these days I, I play with my insulin pump and my CGM on. Uh, I've got like uh, these amazing little like workout tights from a company called Wolico that has a pocket that fits the pump. Uh, and I'm out there and I love, especially when somebody, I'm a very competitive guy. And so uh, in basketball, that's where I, that really manifests the most because it's probably what I spent the most of my life preparing to do. Um, and so, you know, when a young guy will come up and he'll try to go at me and I'll return and I'll, uh, you know, maybe get the best of him. Uh, he, I laugh because he doesn't know that I've got an insulin pump and a CGM managing my diabetes, keeping me alive while I'm dominating him on the basketball court. Like, he doesn't have to worry about that. <laughs> and I do. And I, I just love that kind of dichotomy of like, yes, this is a disability and it's very difficult to manage. Uh, but you can have those little moments of joy where it's like, oh yeah, hey, this able-bodied person is behind me. And they don't even know what I'm balancing in my brain. Do you think that you living with type 1 diabetes throughout, well, your whole life essentially up to this point and throughout your whole experience playing basketball at such a high level and professionally, did it give you that extra bit of grit where you almost felt like you had something to prove to other people and even yourself maybe living with this thing? A hundred percent. And, and I think what, what comes to mind to me the most is uh, in difficult practices in college, uh, my, my coach was very old school. So we were very physically fit. Uh, we did a lot of running, a lot of punishment running, and a lot of, you know, difficult uh, physical feats. And sometimes my diabetes, you know, would go haywire during those. I mean, as, as you know, like, you know, when your cortisol and your stress and your adrenaline is high, your blood sugar, sugars are going to respond in kind. Uh, so, you know, there would be days uh, where my blood sugar was too high. I'd pull myself out of practice, get myself an injection, like slow my heart rate and you know, get back on, get back on the floor. Uh, same thing going low, like get out, take a sip of Gatorade, get back in. And I, when you're different and when you, when you need special attention, especially during like punishment runs or something that your teammates are going through, I felt a lot of guilt, uh, from like not being able to participate in some of those. And I didn't want to be judged by that. And I, I could still compete, but there were, there were obviously like certain limitations sometimes that I would need to take care of. Uh, so for me, that that's where I became as relentless in my preparation, not just for me, but for my teammates. I wanted them to know that they could count on me and that I was good enough and that I, I did have a little chip on my shoulder. And, uh, you know, I think finding that grit can be healthy. Uh, and I think too, it also had a lot of low moments of like, man, like if I just didn't have diabetes, this would be so much easier and I would be able to do this and, and I'd wouldn't have these issues to deal with. And, you know, having to accept that at a young age is, is challenging and difficult. Uh, but it also gave me the confidence after my career to know that it's probably not going to be this difficult again. Uh, and, you know, I, I remember back when it was really hard, you still, you were able to overcome that and make it happen for yourself. And so, you know, that, that's the kind of self-talk that I go through, uh, you know, when things get challenging with my diabetes, it's like, Hey, Remember traveling for five weeks through the Middle East uh, with the Globetrotters when nobody knew you had diabetes and you still managed it and it was all good? Uh, or remember that difficult practice where you had to take yourself out, drink some Gatorade, and then came back in and did well? You know, those are the things that kind of power me when, uh, you know, when I have those low moments. Looking back then, Rob, and I would view basketball as obviously a massively popular sport worldwide and particularly in the States. And hundreds of thousands and millions of people probably trying to be professional. 
what do you feel separated you from your teammates through high school and college that led you to professional? Was it mental? Was it physical? What do you think that was? Well, innately, there's some physical stuff. I'm a, I'm a tall guy. You know, we, we met a couple of years ago at the, at the Biabetic Awards. Yeah, I have some physical gifts that without, <laughs> I would, ne- My I would never be able to. My neck was sore after looking at you, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I'm 6'6", uh, and, you know, was, was blessed with some, some athletic ability. But I think the big thing, like I, I come across guys even today that have the same physical gifts, but I think most of it is, is in the head and in the heart um, because you've got to wake yourself up early in the morning. You've got to uh, find that inside you to, to keep going when other people stop. And you know, I think that's, the, that's what powered me through. Like even, even late in my career, like one of my really good teammates, uh, he, he was much more talented than me and uh, was our leading scorer my senior year and is my good friend. Uh, he kind of looked at the options available on the pro circuit. He absolutely could have gone, but he chose to uh, start his career and start his family a little bit earlier. And, you know, that was a good decision. Um, so you kind of have to be out of your mind a little bit because, you know, I was going crazy working overtime just to make, you know, $1,200 a month, uh, you know, and that, and like, that was the goal, you know, so you kind of have to really buy into, uh, you know, that, Hey, this is a, this is an opportunity for a small number of people for a short amount of time. Do you have what it takes to, uh, you know, beat all these other people who also want this and are also making sacrifices because at that level, it's a very cutthroat business. Uh, and there's not a lot of difference between one guy to the left and to the right. Uh, the team's got to find a reason to sign you. And, you know, that was the reason that I didn't tell uh, my professional teams about my diabetes because I didn't want to get them a reason to pick somebody else over me. And, you know, in mm-hmm. some cases, that's a good reason. A guy without diabetes or a guy with diabetes, all other things equal, which one are you choosing? Um, and I didn't want that to be part of that equation at that level. So, uh, yeah, I think it's the will, my will exceeds my skill. It always has. And so, uh, you know, I think for somebody out there who wants to, to pursue that, uh, just know that, uh, the sacrifices that you have to make, uh, for your teammates, for your friends, uh, even if they maybe are more talented than you, that will can take you a long way. How did you adjust back to then? quote unquote normal life after basketball Rob? Uh, well, I didn't take too much time to think about it. I think was the, was the key. I, uh, you know, I had had a job out of college while I was kind of paying for my training and, uh, and, and working and, uh, it was in marketing and I met an agency, uh, during that time that I, uh, you know, really vibed with. So when I moved back to Dallas after I got cut from the generals, uh, and my time up was, was up there, I, uh, you know, took an interview, went, went to lunch with their, uh, the guy who ran that company. And he was like, wait, you're not working. Like, let's hire you. And I said, like, okay. And, um, <laughs> and that kind of led me into my next phase of, of marketing. And, um, and, you know, now, uh, six years into to owning my own agency and running my own agency with my business partner. And, uh, yeah, you know, I think it's, it's interesting, like life, you think you have this plan and, um, you know, for me, I think it just became an, a, a way to say yes to new things and things that I was curious about and interested in. And, um, you know, finding again, like the opportunity to, uh, to grow and to learn. And, and, you know, that's always, uh, you know, I think ongoing improvement is something that I always vibed with, you know, back to, back to Kobe, you know, he always talked about in the off season, he would work on a weakness and turn it into a strength. Uh, and that's kind of how I approach my professional life is I find some things like, Oh, well, I don't really know much about this. Let me 
work at it and become an expert. And, uh, you know, fortunately I was able to have some success there and, you know, we're here at Recreation Dallas in year six and, and, uh, you know, I'm about to, after we hang up, I'm going to go walk into a meeting and, uh, yeah, that's our, that's our company. We built that from, from scratch. And, mm. uh, I don't know, I think life after basketball has been just as challenging in different ways. Uh, and maybe not as fun as hitting a big shot in front of a lot of people, but, uh, you know, finding that joy in, in different ways and, you know, seeing people grow and, uh, you know, seeing, uh, your, your peers and your employees like have wins and have success and build a life for themselves. Uh, one of my good friends works for me and he and his wife have had two children and bought a house since the, since the time that he came to work for me. And just being able to be a part of that is a, you know, I have a tremendous amount of gratitude for, and, and, uh, yeah, I think it's, it's really exciting. And then on the diabetics doing things side, you know, having, uh, you know, starting that in 2015, uh, you know, fast forward to 2022. And, uh, this year we, we delivered our first scholarships, uh, through the diabetes scholars program. Uh, we're giving opportunities for diabetes creators. Uh, you know, you and I worked on the uh, kind of the beginnings of that a couple of years ago for, for type zero, making some content and allowing people with diabetes, uh, to build platforms where they can, you know, create opportunities for themselves and do what they love to do. Uh, and, you know, I just want to continue to grow that. And uh, over the past, you know, seven years, we just crossed over episode 200. We've done 242 podcast episodes total and, um, you know, made a lot of really great things happen for myself. Uh, but, you know, now I'm trying to figure out how do we, how do we give back more to the next generation? How do we turn this into something really special as a diabetes media company to, uh, to help people like I was when I was 17, looking for uh, information, looking for some advantages, looking for opportunities. Um, and that's what keeps me going is, uh, you know, I know that there will be tomorrow a 17-year-old diagnosed with diabetes somewhere that, that we could help and, and people like you can help. And so if I can help connect them to that information, uh, man, what, what greater purpose in life can I serve than that? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Rob, after 242 episodes with the podcast, how and um, like all, all of the hundreds of conversations that you would have had, how do you feel your own diabetes management or outlook on your own diabetes management has shifted or benefited from those sorts of conversations that you've had? I've learned so much from the community. Uh, I put this in our like kind of pre-show notes. A friend with diabetes is a friend indeed because they've been there. They know yeah. what's going on. They know the latest and greatest information. That's what got me on a CGM. I was like resistant to getting on CGM because I didn't want another thing attached to my body. I could not have been more wrong about that. Once I got the CGM, I was like, wow, this is insane. I love this. Um, and, you know, I, you know, without the community, I wouldn't have that. And so I think, you know, 242 episodes uh, you know, that first of all, like make friends with diabetes, that is a huge life hack. But the second thing is that, uh, it's definitely been a side project or a, a side hustle as some people might call it. And, um, you know, so for me building a business in the nine to five with recreation and then immediately hopping on a podcast interview, you know, some days I would not want to do it. I'd be tired. I'd be chewed up from the business day or I, you know, just be worn down. Almost every time without fail, after I'd hang up a podcast conversation, my cup was full, my energy was great, my uh, entire you know, ethos had changed. And I, that's when I recognized, like, hey, this is something that you need to do. Even if the only person that you help is you, uh, mm. if you can try to help people, plug into people and connect people to this information and learn and be inspired from people like you, uh, 
I'm, I'm going to be better for that. So that's definitely something that's why, you know, even, even in times where we hadn't posted an episode in a couple of weeks, I'm like, no, we're going to pick this back up and keep going because this is worth something more. Uh, it's a valuable way to spend time. And I just try to maximize that for my guests. And you want to go on shows like yours, it's like, let's, let's make this a great use of the time for somebody because, uh, as you know, diabetes can be really difficult. And when you find something and you, and you, uh, take that step and say, Oh, I want to learn from somebody with diabetes. I want to make a friend with diabetes. I really believe strongly that, uh, that's a huge opportunity and should be treated with care. And I try to deliver on that as much as possible. Yeah, absolutely. And I think any conversation that any of us have with somebody else living with diabetes or a parent of somebody living with diabetes or a sibling or a partner, whatever it is, there's always going to be value you can get from that conversation. And I don't think I've ever had a conversation with somebody else living with type 1 diabetes that I haven't got something from in a very selfish sort of way. You can you can always benefit from a conversation with somebody living with the same thing because it is a very unique condition in the sense that it's almost impossible to truly understand the extent of it unless you live with it yourself and And you will always 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 benefit from that conversation i couldn't agree more and i think it's also so cool to be able to skip all that exposition to be able to skip all that explanation and, you know, uh, Owen, you and Graham, I, I want to thank you guys for what you do uh, with this podcast, with your platform, because I know it's making a meaningful difference to thousands of people uh, and, you know, myself included to be able to say, oh, yeah, I have a, a buddy named Owen. He lives in Ireland uh, and he's a bodybuilder. And like, look at this guy. He has diabetes. Like, if that's what you want to do, uh, here's an example. And you guys inspire me to, to be better. The di- diabetes community at large uh, the way that people are able to turn a negative into a positive, to uh, to make amazing lives w- while carrying a heavy burden of diabetes uh, and making it look good, uh, making it look easy sometimes, uh, you guys inspire me and, uh, and I'm better for having known people and having friends with diabetes. Thanks so much, Rob. I really appreciate that. And uh, it, mean, it means a lot coming from you knowing how involved you are within the community and everything that you've done up to this point and everything you continue to do. So from myself, Graham, and I'm sure everybody that listens to this podcast, we uh, greatly appreciate everything that you do. With your podcast, Rob, is there any one guest or conversation or experience or story that stood out to you the most or influenced you the most? Oh, amazing question. And yes. Uh, so really quickly, um, Jeremy Robertson is, uh, is a pilot with diabetes and he was diagnosed at age 31 with type one, uh, right after, uh, as part of his medical tr- clearance, you, uh, as a pilot, you have to pass physicals very regularly. Um, they diagnosed him with diabetes. Um, and he was like flying commercial airlines for Qantas, like for Australia's biggest airline. Uh, and so he had to fly back home. He wasn't able to be the pilot. He had to like, you know, as a passenger fly back home. And what he did to turn a negative into a positive was just immediately enroll himself in medical school and become a doctor. So now he's a doctor and a pilot. 
And because of people like him and because of his advocacy in Australia and with the, the Federal Aviation Association here in the United States, now people with diabetes in the U.S. and in some other countries as well are able to fly commercial aircraft. So, yeah. you know, he took a negative. Uh, his dream was to be a pilot and that was taken away from him. And, you know, I might have sulked. I might have, you know, gotten sad or depressed. Uh, but Jeremy took that and said, no, I'm going to go to medical school. I'm going to I'm going to become a doctor and I'm going to change and use my, you know, use my knowledge to advocate for people like me who've lost their wings. And now they've got them back. And that to me is, you know, I had my first interview with him in 2016, uh, 2017, did another follow up after the Federal Aviation Association announced that, uh, that type one pilots could get their wings back. Uh, he's a good friend. And I'm, I'm grateful to, me, to have met him through the community. Uh, and that's an episode, man, if uh, Jeremy Robertson has two episodes with him, uh, just one of my favorite people I've ever met. Incredible. And I, I think you hit the nail on the head there saying turning a negative into a positive. And I probably would have done something similar as gone sulking or complained or moaned as a result. So massively, massively inspirational and influential to have that sort of response. Which, Rob, leads me to the last question I have for you. And I know you're a busy man. You have a lot to do today. So the last one I have for you, Rob, is if you could thank your diabetes for something, what would that be? I think I'd thank it for making me part of something, um, part of something bigger than myself. Because, you know, I, I think I was a big advocate for you can – you don't have to let diabetes stop you. You can do anything with your diabetes. But I didn't realize uh, that that's not always true for everybody and that a disability it can be, you know, really disabling. Um, and so I think it has given me a perspective that I may otherwise not have had. And I'm grateful for the people over the years who've helped me realize that. And uh, so, yeah, if I had to thank diabetes for one thing, it would be to, to walk in somebody else's shoes uh, and to see how difficult a life managing a chronic illness can be. And yet we can all still find joy in it. We can all still find uh, success in it and find community. And, and for that, I'm grateful. Mm. Love it, Rob. Very, very wise and insightful words from an equally wise man. So, so I appreciate that. <laughs> and Rob, where can people find out more about you if they haven't connected or heard your story up to this point? Yeah, great question. I'm very online. So uh, you can either Google Rob Howe Diabetes uh, or on Instagram, I'm Rob Howe 21. And uh, everything Diabetics Doing Things is on diabeticsdoingthings.com. So uh, yeah, if you're, uh, if, reach out to me there, touch base. Uh, I'm looking forward to meeting you. Legend. Rob, I really, really appreciate your time. And I have to say, I really, really enjoyed this episode. And it was very insightful and even beneficial from a personal standpoint to get an insight into your thought process, your, your headspace and what you want to do and what you look forward to in the future. So absolute pleasure. I appreciate the time Owen and cold plunge soon. Let's make it happen. Absolutely. I'll be uh, definitely getting in touch with you because I need to pick up one of those cold baths myself from my garden. <laughs> Let's make it happen. <laughs> no man. more Irish sea. <laughs> appreciate it, Rob. Take care. All right. Thanks so much, Owen. Another massive thank you to today's guest. And if you haven't already, be sure to check out their social channels and links that we've included in the episode description. If you enjoy the podcast, which I'm guessing you do because you listen, be sure to rate, subscribe, and share. It really, really helps the podcast 
get heard by more people when you rate, when you subscribe, and when you share. If you feel that you've been able to benefit from it so far, likely someone else would be too. If you have any questions or stories for myself and Graham, please do not hesitate to reach out. We absolutely love getting in the email stories and questions. You can do this through theinsalonepodcast at gmail.com. And if you would like to learn more from me, stay connected or even work with me and other people living with type 1 diabetes who want to be fitter, healthier, and happier within my type 1% better online program, you can message me directly through Instagram or you can fill out an application form through the link in the podcast description. And as always, another massive thank you to you for your time and your ears. We greatly appreciate you showing up each week, time after time, ready to gain knowledge and confidence around your diabetes management. So until next week, have a good day, have a good week, look after those blood sugars, and I'll chat to you soon. Take it easy.